0: chapter 13, 2 Kings chapter 13, this was on my heart today as it's coming down the road and so I just will stay with this message tonight, Uh, 2 Kings chapter 13, if you're able to stand with us, I will say I appreciate all the good singing that we've heard tonight and, and the presence of God and I pray that God will help us tonight for a few moments, 2 Kings chapter 13 and let's look at verse number 20, the Bible said, and Elisha died and they buried him. And the hands of the Moabites invaded the land at the coming end of the year. It came to pass, as they were burying a man, that, behold, they spied a band of men. And they cast the man into the sepulcher of Elisha. And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood up on his feet. Father, I pray that you'll add your blessings to the reading of thy word tonight. Lord, I'm thankful, Lord, that you allowed us to be this, with this people and this pastor and Lord, I pray that you'd help me tonight not to say anything that would grieve the Holy Spirit. But God, I pray that you'd be glorified. May your son be magnified and may the church be edified tonight. Lord, help us. We're needy people. And God, we do need a touch from you tonight. I pray, Lord, you'd touch us spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally. God, may you be pleased with our worship and may we see no man save Jesus only. We'll thank you for it. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated tonight. I want you to notice with me in verse number 20, our text as it opens up, I want you to notice the man of God. The Bible says here, and Elisha died and they buried him. You know, I'm thankful for men of God that have influenced our life and they have changed our life and preached the gospel to us. But if there's anything that's true about men of God, no matter how great a man of God they may be, no matter how long they may have served God, men of God come and they do go because it is appointed in a man once to die and after this the judgment. And so we see the man of God, the prophet that he has buried in verse number 20. And then we notice the Moabites, these pagans here. I want you to notice that they are banded together. The Bible said in the bands of the Moabites invaded the land at the coming end of the year. So Elisha has died here. They buried the man of God and the Moabites, you know the Moabites they were cousins to the nation of Israel born out of the loins of Lot uh, and that sin in that cave that Took place, And so uh, they're a picture in a type of the flesh. Uh, and so the man of God is dead and the Moabites are beginning to invade the land. But I want you to notice the men in verse number 21, these pallbearers here. I want you to see their activity and how that they're busy uh, doing something that we want to call to our attention tonight. The Bible says that it came to pass as uh, they were burying a man. Now I want you to think about these pallbearers for a few moments tonight. And I want you to think about what's taking. Taking place in verse number twenty-one. Notice with me this stranger that is mentioned here. The Bible said that it came to pass as they were bearing a man. They're taking some man out, preacher. We don't know exactly who this man is. Uh, what I mean by that is we don't know his face. Uh, his identity is not given in the text. Uh, we just know he's a man. We don't know where he came from. Uh, we don't. We're not familiar with his family. We don't know anything about his friends. Uh, We don't even know his final end. What was it uh, that brought this man to the grave? We don't know that. He's just a stranger in the text. But we see not only the stranger in verse 21. But there is the servant that is mentioned a second time in this text here. The Bible said that they spied out bands of men and they cast the man, notice this, into the sepulcher of Elisha. Now that's important tonight for two reasons. He's mentioned in verse 20 and... And then he's mentioned again in verse 21. Elisha is the great prophet of God. He's the great servant of God. He stood head and shoulders above those other prophets, those sons of the prophets. Uh, He was not like them, uh, but he was like Elijah. Isn't that right? But there's two things about Elisha in this text here. In verse number 21, it's very clear. Elisha is dead. Amen. He's dead. He's gone. But he's not just dead. When we get to verse 21, notice he's decayed. The Bible said that when the man was let down and he touched the bones of Elisha. I mean, Elisha's been dead for over a year now. The Moabites have invaded the land. I mean, he's not just dead, but he is what we would call graveyard dead. I mean, there's nothing left of Elisha but the dust of the ages and a bag of bones. He's decayed. And I was reading this text one day, preacher, and I thought, you know, this, I don't know how you view this story, but this story really gets my attention. I mean, it's just one of those stories that when you're reading your Bible and you go through it, you just can't, I mean, you just can't read it and forget it. Amen. And I thought about this. I thought, well, now, wait a minute. There's not a whole lot in this story that we're unfamiliar with. I mean, if you look at verse number 20, we're familiar with preachers dying. I even thought that's not the first dead preacher i met. Amen. I've been around a lot of dead preachers, haven't you? Uh, and uh, so we're familiar with dead preachers. Uh, we're not unfamiliar with an enemy trying to invade the land. We're seeing that take place uh, on the news before our very eyes. Uh, and so there's nothing unfamiliar about that. There's nothing unfamiliar about bears huh? and taking a man out to the cemetery and planting him the ground. I mean, there's nothing uh, unfamiliar. But when you get to the very last phrase here, what really gets my attention is not the stranger, not the servant, but the supernatural. In one little old phrase, it makes this story come alive. He said, uh, the Bible said that when he touched the bones of Elisha, notice this, He revived and stood upon his feet. I promise you, you've been to a lot of funerals, and I have too. But I've never been to one like this. Amen. I'm telling you, this man, uh, he revives uh, and he stands on his feet. And I thought about this preacher, and I'll give you my title here in just a second. I thought to myself, now why did God let this man get all the way almost to his final grave, uh, his destination, and uh, let him fall down in Elisha's grave, and why did God revive him there? I mean, why did God not just revive him uh, when he was on that bed of affliction, or revive him back at his country or with his family? I mean, why did God do this this way? Well, I think it was for three reasons. I think it was to prove, number one, that even though Elisha was dead, Elisha's God was not dead. Amen. Amen. I'm telling you, listen, preachers come and preachers go through this walk of life uh, and as great as they may be, as I said, uh, no matter who that prophet is, uh, uh, we've all got an appointment with death uh, and Elisha's dead, but Elisha's God is not dead. And then I think it was to prove that Elisha's grave is not dead. God is still doing something in Elisha's life, Elisha's life, Elijah's ministry. He's still working in his grave. You know, it doesn't matter. God can work in the tomb. He can work outside the tomb. Uh, in fact, I know another man that went in a tomb and came out. Amen. Uh, uh, God's not bound by a grave. Uh, he's not bound by a funeral service. Uh, he's not bound by death. Uh, and it proves that Elisha may be dead, but it's God's not dead. And Elisha's grave is not dead. I tell you, just like Preacher said a few minutes ago, any moment, any second, uh, uh, before we get to the end of this service, do you realize uh, what we're reading about in this text? Uh, It may happen all across this country and all across around this world. Uh, Here's coming today, thank God, uh, when he's going to open the grave uh, of every blood-washed saint of God. Uh, And we're all coming up, uh, and we're all coming out uh, on that resurrection morning. Uh, Hallelujah. We shall rise, praise God. And so it proves that his grave is not dead. It proves that his God is not dead. And then it proves that his guest is not dead. I mean, how would you like to be that old boy? He no more got in and then he came back out. I mean, he went in, and I mean, in a split second, here he comes back out. I mean, you know, them boys don't hardly, them Bears don't hardly get too far down the road, uh, and he's catching back up. We uh, wonder what they thought about that. Amen. Uh, I'm going to tell you, you may have planted one of your loved ones uh, out there in the silent city of the dead a few days ago. Uh, in fact, it might have been 10 years ago, but in eternity, it's just a blink of an eye. I'm telling you, listen, they're coming out, uh, and when they come out, it'll be like they just went in. Amen. For us, the grave were nothing more than a guest. But I looked at this last phrase, he revived and stood upon his feet. It has to do with his life and his legs, that, that this man stood up and, and he had life. You know, I thought about this, and it's really the thought I want to preach just a few more minutes tonight on. I want to preach on a personal revival. You know, tonight we need... We need, a, we need a nationwide revival. And we need a community-wide revival. And I think you would agree with this about every one of our churches needs a church-wide revival. But the truth of the text is this is that I can't do anything about this country. I can't do anything about the community. I can't make Burnsville, nor can your pastor have revival. I can't make this church, I can't make you have revival. You can't make my church have revival. I can't even do nothing about the person that is sitting beside me in a church service. Uh, but I'll tell you something tonight. As much as God is interested in a nationwide and a community-wide and a church-wide revival, He's just as interested in a personal revival. And though we can't do nothing about that, we sure can do something about ourselves. You see, the tragedy of any revival week would be this for a pastor, is that when Friday night the lights are turned out and everything's over with, that people leave the same way they came. Brother, I'm telling you, the Sunday after revival shouldn't be a relief. I'm telling you, the fires ought to be burning. Amen. Amen. And I think you'll agree with this tonight. I wouldn't give you a plug nickel for somebody that shout all week on an evangelist and then wouldn't shout when their man of God got up on Sunday and preached. Uh, I'm telling you, listen, you say, do you believe that? I preach it at my church. I don't know if you're supposed to. Uh, but I tell them, I said, now if you're going to shout all week, uh, I want you to shout Sunday when I get up to preach. Uh, it's not that I need it, but you need it. Amen. Uh, I'm just simply saying this. Uh, God is interested in a personal revival. And what I notice about this personal revival is how and who God used and when. You say, what do you mean? Well, I notice in verse number 20 that in this personal revival, he used an unlikely period. The Bible said Elisha died and they buried him and the band of the Moabites invaded the land at the coming end of the year. When you think about the timing of this text, the period that God sent this revival, it was an unlikely period. You say, what do you mean? I simply mean it was a dark time. The prophet of God is dead. That's the voice of God. As I mentioned before, Elisha was not just a son of the prophet. He was more than a prophet. And when Elisha died, what was Israel going to do? Who was going to be? Was God going to raise up another great prophet? Would God have anything to say? Spiritually, it was a dark time. and then it was a dead time and then it was a very dangerous time. The Moabites have invaded the land. I mean things have went from bad to worse and the Moabites are creeping in on them. Doesn't it sound a lot like the day we're living in when it seems like there's so much spiritual darkness and spiritual deadness and it seems like it's a dangerous hour even just to let your kids go out in the yard or go down to the city park. You never know what to expect from one minute to the next and the America that most of us grew up in is not the America that we're living in tonight. But I got good news for you. God likes to send revival in an unlikely period. It may take this setting. It may take these circumstances to bring the church to their knees and to fill the house of God up once again so we can have revival. I don't know, and this is just a personal thought. If you don't agree with this, don't fall out with me. But I don't like it when preachers get up and tell the church the days of revival are gone. I know America's not mentioned in the last days. I know we are in the last days. But I'm going to tell you something. Read the book of Acts. God didn't send revival in times of prosperity. I'm going to tell you, revival comes in times of persecution. Yeah. And I don't want to rob a younger generation of the hope of what God did yesterday, He can still do today. I'm thankful for what He did in the 60s and the 70s and 80s and 90s. But I'll tell you, the God of this is still the God right now. And God can still bring this nation to its knees. And we tonight have to remember, we're still the salt of the earth. We're still the light of this world. And we can have revival if we want revival tonight. Several years ago in our church we was having a revival meeting Had a man in our church who sat on the second row for probably 15 plus years. He's about probably 40 years old at the time. He got up in the morning service during the invitation. I don't even remember what the message was about. It was the Sunday before revival. He come to the, the altar on the corner and I saw him praying, but I didn't pay much attention to it. He was faithful to church. Sunday school, Wednesday night, tither, all those things. But he just sat in church. He was just a faithful church member. But on that Sunday, he was in the revival, or in the altar. Sunday night, he was back in the altar again. And when he got up and we was fixing to give the benediction, he stood up over here and he went to weep. And he said, preacher, he said, I'm not out in no deep, dark, gross sin. Uh, he said, I've not got no desire to get away from God. He said, but I just simply sat here on this pew and I made my mind up this week that no, I don't know what God's going to do. I don't know how he's going to do what he's going to do. But if nobody in this building gets something, I'm going to come every night and I want something from God. I'm going to tell you what God did. God took that one individual and I think really he got some things right with God or, or he got hungry. I can say that on that Sunday and God lit a fire in our church for about three weeks uh, and it really just started with one person having a personal revival. Do you see the answer to your prodigal coming home, the answer to your children getting saved, the answer to that loved one getting born again, the answer to what you may be praying about may not lie within them, but it may be within me and you. An unlikely period. And then I see that he used an unlikely people. Notice the Bible says in verse 21, and it came to pass as they. You ought to circle that word. It came to pass as they. Were burying a man. You know, I've always wondered, preacher, who they were. Have you ever wondered that? I mean, sometimes as a pastor, I have people come up and say, "Well, now, preacher, I'm gonna tell you what they said." Y'all ever heard that? It's never good. It's never a blessing. They'll come up and say, "Well, let me tell you what they said." I said, "Well, give me some names," and so I can't do that. I don't know if they work for the CIA. I don't know who they are. They're as undercover. I'm telling you, they're as deep undercover as the FBI are. They're right amongst us. I, hey, but they I'll tell you what they said, but I can't tell you who they are. <laughs> I'll tell you, I like these they. <laughs> you say, why is that? Because these people were responsible for this young man or whoever this man was into being revived. Do you realize that had he not had them in his life, He'd have never got to Elisha's grave. And though I know it was God that did it, God used these men in difficult times to help this man get to where he needed to be at. And tonight, God always uses unlikely people. I see that they're common people because their names are not given. And you realize tonight, sure, God uses preachers to influence and to help our life. But I will not tell you something. God puts people in our life strategically that are not preachers. Maybe they're just a godly deacon or a godly lady or some. Somebody, a parent uh, uh, that God has put in your life, a neighbor, a church member that has made their mark on this church uh, uh, that has influenced so many people. And God uses unlikely people in our life. I would say to every young person in this building tonight, don't dismiss the gray hairs in your life. For they've been the savior of both my marriage and my ministry. Brother, we need those common people, don't we? And by the way, we're all common people, aren't we? Our Savior was a common person when he walked on this earth. He was a peasant, the son of a carpenter, they called him. But really, he was the son of the only begotten son of God. And Jesus walked this earth. And listen, we read about him when he's 2 and when he's 12 and when he's 30 years of age. But most of his life is tucked away in obscurity. Why is that? So that he can identify with the common people. And God uses those common people, the unlikely people. It was a little lad that the Lord used to feed 5,000. It was a little maid that God used to help Naaman be healed of his leprosy. And they were courageous people. They were doing what they needed to do in a very dangerous time. And then I noticed uh, that these people here, uh, that my friend, that that they were compassionate people. You see, everybody in this building probably knows who D.L. Moody is. He shook two continents with the Word of God. But on April the 21st, 1855, it was, Ed, it was Edward Kimball, an American Sunday school teacher that walked in the back of that shoe shop and gave Moody the gospel and led him to Christ. Moody shook two continents with the Word of God. Edward Kimball brought Moody to the foot of the cross. So what are you saying, preacher? I'm saying, God, don't underestimate how God may be wanting to use you. Amen. Unlikely period and unlikely people. And then I noticed that not only does he use an unlikely people an unlikely period, but he used an unlikely person because this old boy's dead. I mean, he's just graveyard dead. Now, this gives every pastor hope, amen, because we all have them dead church members. I mean, we thank God for all of them, the ones that are living and are dead. And the only ones that's mad right now, what I'm saying, that's the dead ones, amen. But I'm just telling you, in every church, you got them dead church members. They're dead to the singing. They're dead to the offering. They're dead to missions. They're dead to Sunday school. They're dead to preaching. I mean, listen, you couldn't pay them $100 to say amen or even burp real out while you're preaching. I'm just telling you, they come to church and sit like a wooden Indian through the service leave the same way they came. I mean, they're just dead. But you know what this text does for me? It gives me hope tonight that God can revive them too. You may be here tonight and say, I'm one of those dead members. Well, you don't have to leave that way tonight. God can do for you what he did for this boy. He was dead. Hallelujah. And then I like this. He was disregarded. The Bible said that they cast the man into the sepulcher. You know what this old boy is? Before he gets revived, he's a castaway. He's a throwaway. He's someone that that they had to get rid of in the the heat of the moment. He didn't really mean a whole lot to them. I'm gonna tell you, God never gives up on castaways. He never gives up on throwaways. I'm telling you, God knows how to take people that society said there's no hope for them. They're a menace to society. You can't listen. You can't reform them. You can't do anything. No, but they can get reborn. They can get revived. And when society has thrown them away, God will not throw them away. I had a lady in our church, she's in heaven tonight. She got saved several years ago on drugs and lived a a wicked life. I won't even go into all the things. But due to the life that she had lived and how she had abused her body, she had lost all of her teeth. And she came to our church, she took some metal scissors, and she had, in in probably a time when she was. Uh, at a high, you know, she had chopped her hair up and all kinds of she just just a mess. She came to our church for two weeks. Now she didn't look like everybody else that went to church. I remember first service she came in when she she came in dressed in full leather. I'm talking about leather miniskirt. I'm talking about leather shirt or leather jacket, you know, with no with no sleeves on them. I mean, she, she looked like she had just come out of a you know Harley Davidson uh, a gang or something, you know? Her people just loved on her. She couldn't say anything that made sense. Her mind was so burnt. And I remember praying saying to, uh, and asking some folks in the church to help me pray that God would just open her mind so she could be saved. And one Sunday night, the choir was singing. I watched her come in. She come across the back while the choir was singing, and she come down the aisle. And as she was coming down the aisle, I noticed she had a little orange Gideon New Testament. She was holding it. Preacher, she sat down. I went back there where the choir was singing. I said, "Manette," I said, "Why are you coming?" First thing she ever said to me it made sense. She looked up at me with tears running down her face. She said, "I'm tormented, and I want peace." I started back down that aisle. I was going to preach something to the church that night. And when I started down that aisle, I had one of Brother standing at Blue's tracks in my Bible. It said, how to have peace. And I started down that aisle, and the Holy Ghost said, that's what you're preaching tonight. Shortest sermon I ever preached in my life. I mean, thrilled my wife to death. Amen. Seven minutes. I preached on how to have peace. You know what happened? Gave the invitation. She just shot out of that aisle, came down to the, came down to the altar, and she got saved. We was in the altar praying with her. She got saved, and she looked up at me. I mean, tears dripping off her chin. And I said, what did the Lord do for you? She said, he just saved me. And then she said this. She said, can I say something? I said, I don't know about that now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad you're saved, but giving you the floor. You said, well, i let her testify. You hadn't heard the things I'd heard her say. (laughs) I said, I don't know about that. She said, let me say one thing. I said, well, okay, we'll see how it goes. This is what she said to our church. She stood up. and She said, I know that all of y'all know I'm crazy. But she said, tonight I'm in my right mind. And she said, I got saved. Brother, I'm going to tell you, we about tore that place apart that night. I'm telling you. In fact, I thought about preaching some more seven-minute sermons. Amen. Brother, I ain't doing it tonight or tomorrow night, so don't get too happy. Amen. But I'm telling you, she got saved. She's in glory tonight. Her daughter has been coming to our church. Uh, listen, she wouldn't have nothing to do with God or us, uh, but she watched her mama live for God for about five years before she died. Watch God change her life. Uh, about six months after she got saved, her husband, who was a drug dealer, he came to one of our Christmas services, uh, and he come down the aisle and got an order. And he said, I want whatever manetta has got. Uh, I'm telling you, God uh, had made such a change in her life. Uh, and That's what salvation can do. Uh, it can revive your troubled heart. he can bring you out of the dead and bring you into the living. Hallelujah. He used an unlikely person. Then let me say this. He used an unlikely place. The Bible said they cast that man into the sepulcher. You know, I it didn't say now they cast him in the sanctuary, but I've been in some sanctuaries that should have, they were a lot like sepulchers. Full of dead men's bones. You already been to that? Hey, hey, nobody likes a dead service. Can I get a witness right there? Hey, you got to do everything. Listen, when you come to church, uh, and I'm sure you do, but let me encourage you tonight. When you come to the house of God, you ought to come. There's only one way to worship God, and that's on purpose. Amen? You can't come and say, well, I'm just going to wait for the Spirit to move. That's not what the Bible says. God is a Spirit, and the Bible said He's seeking such to worship after Him. The Bible said He inhabits the praise of His people. I promise you, if we'll just do our part, He'll do His part. If we'll show up and we'll worship Him, He'll show up and and he'll be worshiped because worship doesn't demand a response from God. It demands one from us. And too many of our churches have become graveyards because we've got too many dead people sitting in them. I tell you what, may God revive every soul this week and light a fire in this place like it's never been lit before. And I know y'all don't have a dead church, but I'm sure it'd be the same as it would be at my church. We can always use a few more stoking the fire. Amen. I'll tell our preachers in our church, if you don't say amen 25 times in every service, you got no right to preach. Amen. Hey, you're agreeing with me. Thank God, brother. You say, now, brother Gravely, that's too hard. No, that's not hard at all. That's the bare minimum. I'm talking about that's just the minimum. Amen. I mean, if you won't amen the truth, you don't have a right to preach it. I've seen a lot of them. They want everybody to get raptured out when they're preaching but they'll sit there like a knot on the lock when every other man, hey we just reap what we sow. Amen. One man told me one time, said I didn't get nothing out of the service. I said that's because you didn't put nothing in. Amen. I'm telling you if you'll put something in you'll always get something out. And two amens are better than one. And two hands raised are better than one. He said oh lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord all ye people of the Lord. I don't raise my hand to bless nobody else. But who would have ever thought that just the raising of our hand could thrill the heart of heaven, could thrill the heart of God. I read that verse in Psalms 134. I said, dear God, I'm never going to church again and not raising my hand. As long as I got a hand to raise, I will go to church and raise it every single time. Amen. You think about all the blessings God's given you just this week. And God said, the only thing I ask you to do is just raise your hand. And tell me, just raise it toward heaven every now and then. He said, well, that might make somebody mad. It might, but it'll thrill him. See, I don't have to feel nothing to raise my hand. The Bible said, let all the people say amen. I don't have to feel nothing to say man. I'm just saying God use an unlikely person. He used an unlikely place. Uh, I'm telling you, the house of God ought to be on fire at all times. Uh, I'm telling you, don't worry about the pulpit being red hot. I'm telling you, if the pews get on fire, it'll bleed over into the pulpit. I'm telling you, any time you're responding, giving feedback to the man of God, uh, I'm telling you, it's just going to crank him up, uh, and he's just going to preach, amen. Unlikely place. The worst of places in our text became a wonderful place when he showed up. Finally, let me say this in closing tonight. He used an unlikely, an unlikely prophet. Because Elisha is dead and it looks like his ministry is done. It looks like the man is done. It looks like all those miracles. Elisha performed twice as many miracles as Elijah, but not to this point. He was lacking just one. (laughs) But God had promised him a double portion. I'm going to tell you something about God. And you know this tonight. God always keeps his promise. It may not be in my time. It may not even be in my lifetime like in Elisha's case. God will keep his promise. You say, what did Elisha do? Nothing. He couldn't do nothing. You say, what did Elisha do in this text? He just laid there like a dead man would. You say, I want God to use me. I want God to put his hand on me. I'll tell you what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to die. Amen. You're going to have to die daily. You're just going to have to die. You see, I can't do anything, and you can't do anything. But God did through Elisha what he would not do with Elisha. I'm going to tell you tonight, that's how it works. God always do through us what he will not do within us ourselves. I think too many people have hindered their own walk and grieved the Holy Spirit. And listen to me, I say this very fearfully tonight because we just learned how to do some things. You know, I had a preacher friend. He's not in the ministry tonight. A good preacher, a great preacher. But he told his wife one day sitting in the living room privately after preaching a sermon, he said, I have figured it out. She said, you figured out what? He said, I have figured out how to move people and get them to the the altar. Friend, that's dangerous ground. That's dangerous thinking. But what he said, I think a lot of people in their heart, songs, I love music. But it's got to be more than just getting up and doing the routine. Thank God I appreciate the talent tonight. You know, God didn't give me talent. And I'll tell you why He didn't. I think I figured it out. I can't sing. I can't play nothing. Can you sing or play? You can, can't you? Yeah, He's good at it. I remember that. But, you know, Brother Boone, if I could play an instrument or sing, it's, I'd be one of these people. I'd walked in here tonight, you know, with one of them songbooks about this big. <laughs> And I'd have sat over in a corner, you know, and I'd flip through some pages while he was talking, you know, and kindly giving the hint. And then when he said, "Well, I better call on him," you know. (laughs) And when he finally called on me, I'd have got up and said something like, "You've heard it's universal," you know. Well, I really didn't come to sing tonight, but you know. (laughs) I tell them at our church: if you God didn't give you that talent, find you another one. But I'm gonna tell you something tonight: it's not the talent. It's the touch. It's not a man's delivery. It's not his education. It's not his personality. It's not his popularity. I'm going to tell you tonight, if God, the Holy Ghost, if the winds of heaven don't pass by, there was no point in even coming tonight. In every sermon, I know every God-called preacher that's been anointed knows this. uh, We're just looking desperately somewheres in that sermon for God to just somehow step in the middle of it and touch it so it'll help all of us before we go home. But to do that, to be a godly mother, to be a godly Sunday school teacher, if you're a Sunday school teacher, let me encourage you tonight, don't just read a quarterly. There's nothing wrong with using one. But don't just read a quote. Don't just say, well, I only got two pupils. How many of of y'all knew Dr. Lee Robertson? The Great Highland Park Baptist Church. Missionaries around the world. Chapels all over North Georgia and Tennessee. And no telling heaven will have to reveal. uh, Thousands upon thousands that came to Tennessee Temple University. Bus route. Run 20,000 in Sunday school. 20,000 in Sunday school. But in the back of a little country church when he was a 14-year-old boy, a Sunday school teacher pulled a curtain in the corner of that little church, and with just two pupils, she taught Sunday school. And one of them was was Dr. Lee Robertson. (laughs) And he said, after the second Sunday, he's on being under conviction. She taught the plan of salvation. Dr. Lee Robertson got saved. So what are you what do you say preaching? I'm saying He uses unlikely people. Yeah. Unlikely places. He uses the unlikely tonight. And as we stand and get a song ready, I'm going to tell you tonight what our text proves is that God is always able to send revival. Here's the personal question. And I don't know if you need to come tonight. You don't have to come. But I'll tell you, if you feel the need to come, you ought to come tonight. You ought to come. Do you need a personal revival? I know you've had a good revival meeting. I saw the lineup. I said, there's no way you hadn't had a good meeting. But it's really not about the meeting tonight. It's even not about the evangelists. It's not about the pastor. It's not about the, the singers. It's about you tonight. Where are you at with God? Do you need to come to this altar and get closer to Him? I wonder why our heads are about, eyes are closed. She plays softly. pastor is going to come. But if you need to come, you just obey God tonight. Do what the Holy Ghost would have you to do. Preacher, say one time, draw draw a circle around yourself and ask God to revive everything in that circle. These are coming, preacher. Yes. Yes, I need personal revival.